So we have finished <clears throat> the book of Nahum, and we've been in the prophets for a while now, and we went through Daniel, and we went through some of the other minor prophets, some of the post-exilic prophets. We've been through Ezra and Nehemiah, and to give us some more exposure to some of the other literature of the Old Testament, a book that I've wanted to uh, have us to go through for a while now, figured it was a great opportunity because this book is so timely. This is a book that speaks to every age. It is a book that helps us to understand the true meaning of things, the true meaning of life, the purpose of life, the meaning of life, all of it. And that is the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you would, please turn there with me. Our text tonight is going to be verses 1 to 11. <clears throat> now, this book is possibly familiar to us. It is part of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. It is a book that, that is uh, traditionally understood that, that Solomon has written this book. Some scholars would debate that, but they would acknowledge that if this book wasn't written by Solomon, it was written about Solomon. So either way, he is in view here. And the reason why this book is so timely is because of the things that it says. The things that it says about life, about work, about pleasure, about youth, about success, about it all. You take a man like Solomon, who had everything. At that particular point in history... Whatever it was that a man could want, he had it. And not only did he have everything as far as you know, anything materially that he wanted, all the women that he wanted, all the success that he wanted, all the money, wealth, everything. God had also blessed him with great wisdom. What was the things that he learned? You think about a man who has this great wisdom, the most a wise man in, in all of history, second to the Lord Jesus. What did he have to say? How did he sum up life? And you find that at the very end of the book, after everything that he speaks about, some things are confusing, by the way, just to let, let you know that as we enter into this book. There are some things that he says, you kind of scratch your head going, well, wait a minute, didn't you say something different a minute ago? But when you get through it all, he sums up everything by fearing God. That is the purpose of it all. That's what gives everything meaning, everything purpose. The purpose of life, of everything, of anything. This book is, is one that offers true wisdom. And that wisdom is indeed to fear the Lord. One writer says this, in summation of the book, he says, Fear God in order to turn a vain, empty life into a meaningful life, which will enjoy God's gifts. That's the meaning of it all. And that's what we're going to find in this book. So I pray that as we work our way through this, that it will help us to, to understand uh, the, the value of life that we have, the value of the life that we have in Christ specifically. The meaning of it all, the purpose of it all, the preciousness of life, all of that. Help us to focus back in as to the importance of it all. 
If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 to 12, or excuse me, 1 to 11. This is the inerrant, inspired, infallible, authoritative words of the living God. Let us give our attention to the Holy Scripture. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Also the sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to its place it rises there again. Blowing toward the south, then turning toward the north, the wind continues swirling along. And on its circular courses the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, they flow again. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see this, it is new? Already it has existed for ages which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things and also of the later things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, we come again into your presence. We thank you for the privilege that we have of knowing you and of serving you, the grace that you extended to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, and how we pray, Father, that as we work our way through this text, that the Spirit of God would give us understanding, encourage our hearts, and strengthen our hearts. Rebuke us, Father, for considering the temporary things to be more valuable than the things of God. Help us to focus ourselves back and to see the importance of your word and the life that we have in Christ. We love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's children said, amen. Please be seated. You know, there's really no introduction here, as there is with many of the other books of the Scripture. If this is indeed Solomon, which I I think, uh, going with church tradition, that it is Solomon, he begins his this book Ecclesiastes, which really, by the way, is is the word the Greek word for preacher. He says the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, and he begins by this saying that we've all heard numerous times. No doubt, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, what does he mean by this? What is he getting at? Well, there is definitely no shortage of opinions when it comes to commentators as to what exactly this word means. It is a Hebrew word that that means actually meaninglessness. It means empty, temporary, futile, absurd. It can also mean striving after the wind. It can mean a bubble. It can mean smoke that curls up into the air, a mist, a breath, mere breath. It is the Hebrew word habel, which has the same consonants, actually, as 
Abel. Many commentators would go with this particular meaning, that it means breath, mere breath. And in fact, the scriptures translate this word habel in that way. If you hold your place here in Ecclesiastes and turn back to Psalm 144, this is the way that it is used here and in Psalm 39. Psalm 144, verse 4. This is a psalm of David. Man is like a mere breath. That's the word habel. His days are like a passing shadow. In Psalm 39, same word, speaking of similar things. Verse 5. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. It's the same word, a bell. So many commentators would say that it doesn't just mean emptiness or meaninglessness or temporary or absurd but that it's really from the very outset, from the very beginning of this book, he is saying that everything is like a mere breath. That's what he's getting at. Everything is a mere breath. Now you think of the things that he, that he talks about in this book. What is he referring to? The things that are a mere breath. Well, there's a long list of things that he goes into, but here are some of those things. The fruit of our labors, pleasure, life, Youth, success, wealth, desire, everything is like a mere breath. You know, it's very similar to how how James uses that kind of language in his book, too. That we're we're like the dew of the grass. We're here in the beginning of the morning. By mid-morning, we're gone. It's gone. Man is just a mere breath. And that's why when you take a man like Solomon who was bringing about all this, the man who had everything, anything that you could ever want, this man had. And by the time that he gets older in his age, and you remember about Solomon, that even though he was the wisest of, of them all, that he had allowed himself to be tempted and to begin into idolatry, that he was serving other gods, even after knowing the living God and being blessed by him with all the wisdom that he had. By the time he comes to the end of his life and he repents, he's looking back and he's saying, everything is like a mere breath. It was so short. It went by so fast. And what did it all mean? What was its purpose? And that's what he's getting at. There's that wordplay here in this to to bring it out to the, the highest superlative. Breath of breaths. Everything's a mere breath. It's short. And really he's getting at that it's not only short, but it's purposeless. There's no meaning in it all. Here's what gives it meaning, though. Actually, I'll hold that to the end of what does give it meaning. But here's some of the things that he says. After he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, everything's a mere breath. What advantage does man have in all the work which he does under the sun? What's the advantage? What's it accomplish? 
Now you think of any particular job that you want to. It's, it's every day. You go, you perform your work. You go home. When you're looking at the, the whole scheme of it all, what does it accomplish? What difference does it make in, in life on the earth? There really is no difference, is there? There's really nothing new that contributes to the, la- the, the, the earth itself and, and it lasting, it being affected. And that's the point that everything in the world continues as it always has. He likens it to the sun. From his point of view, the sun rises and the sun sets. It hastens to its place and it rises again. It just keeps going. Every day is the same. The rivers, they flow into the oceans. They're never filled. It just it keeps going. It's, it's always the same. The wind, it blows and it goes around the earth. It comes around again. It, it's the same. There's, there's no change. That's, that's the whole point. Everything continues as it always has before our existence. What's the purpose of it all? What's, what does it accomplish? How memorable will any of our work be in generations to come? Take your own professions that you do, the own work that you do. You may have a good job. I'm not saying that your job is not important and it's not, you're not blessed by God for having it. But you think of this. I'm an operations manager at a roofing company. In generations to come, are they going to look back and say, that guy worked for that roofing company, and that guy put on the roof for my great-grandfather. How about no? Not going to happen. You think of the many people that have come and gone on this earth. How are they remembered? He says in verse 9 there, That which has been is that which will be. And that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see, this is new. It's already existed. In in your own family, think of this. Think of of how, how, how many people that we remember in our own families. Can anybody name their great-grandfather? Or their great-great-grandfather? Or great-grandmother? Great-great-grandmother? Do you even know their names? I don't. I know some. But other than that, I don't. It's like from... The time that you live, a generation or two later, you're forgotten. That's how life is. You're forgotten. You've accomplished whatever work that that you've been given to do in the sense of what you did as a profession. But a generation or two later, 
Nobody's going to remember who you are. Nobody's going to remember what you did for a living. Nobody's going to remember what things that you accomplished in your personal life. Some people we do remember. You take some of the philosophers of ages past. You take some of the church fathers that we look back at. Some are remembered, but the vast majority are not. They come and they go. A generation goes, a generation comes. That's what Solomon's saying. It's a mere breath. There's nothing, there's nothing that is new. Everything after we're gone will continue the same way it was before we were here. Everything just keeps going in the same order that God has created. And so the whole point of what Solomon is saying is he's saying, look, everything is a mere breath. It's a mist. It's like smoke that vanishes in the air. It's short. It's meaningless because everything's going to continue as it was beforehand. Now, in one sense, just looking at it that way, everything's just repetitive. I mean, you can look at your own individual lives and you can see the repetitiveness that's there too. You get up in the morning, you go to work, you come home, maybe you spend time with your family, maybe you read, maybe you watch TV, you go to bed, you get up, you go to work, you come home. It's the same over and over again. It's repetitive. Now, just thinking of it that way, just you think, well, what is the meaning then? This is, this is not some good news here. This doesn't really make me feel good to think that everything is just repetitive. You're, you're not going to affect anything on the earth that's going to continue just as it was beforehand. A generation or two later, you're going to be forgotten. Well, this is depressing. So what is the purpose then? But here's the thing, though. As we can just imagine to ourselves these very things of what Solomon is saying here. It's no wonder that apart from God, you do have no great outlook on life. As some of the existential philosophers of the 20th, early 20th century had said that, I think it was Jean-Paul Sartre said, man is nothing more than a useless passion. He has no purpose. He has no value. There is no meaning to anything. The fact that we exist is absurd to begin with. Why? Because they don't believe, one, in, in God being the creator of all things. And so if you're an accident, a cosmic accident, what is your meaning in life? You have none. The fact that you exist is absurd. So apart from the Lord, you can see there's really, there's really no hope. There's really nothing to take joy in except for the things that you're able to do. The things that are temporary, which are the fruit of your labors, of pleasure, of success, of wealth, of desire, of all those things that man naturally goes after that will ultimately leave him unfulfilled. But he thinks that they will. They, they think that if they can achieve this or they can get to this, that they will be fulfilled and that they will have meaning. <clears throat> but it leaves them empty, even more empty whenever they have finally reached whatever pinnacle it was that they were seeking after. There was a famous football player. I can't remember if it was Deion Sanders or another. And when they finally 
won the Super Bowl, which was, is, is the pinnacle of football, right? He said that was one of the loneliest nights of his life. How can that be? You just won the Super Bowl because it wasn't all that what you thought it was going to be. That's the deceptiveness of this life apart from the Lord. Is that you think to yourself that if I can just get this, if I can finally reach this particular thing, or I, or I can lay hold of that, if I can get through these number of years and I can achieve this over here, I'm going to be happier, I'm going to be more joyful, I'm, I'm going to be the best self that I can be. And the fact of the matter is, is when you get there, you're going to be no different than you were before. There's nothing really to look forward to. You have to, in the secular world, really the only thing that you have is whatever meaning that you make to yourself or that you give to yourself. That's the only joy that you can have. You take a man, Frederick Nietzsche, in his book on existentialism, he writes of this man who is a tightrope walker, and he's in the town square. He has his tightrope going from one tower to the other, and he's dazzling the crowds by walking across it, except this time he happens to lose his footing, and he falls. And he falls next to the main character here, which is Zarathustra. And so here's what... Here's what he says. Zarathustra is kneeling beside him after he has fallen. What are you doing here, he asked at last. I have long known that the devil would trip me. Now he would drag me to hell. Would you prevent him? By my honor, friend, answered Zarathustra. All that of which you speak does not exist. There is no devil and no hell. Your soul will be dead even before your body. Fear nothing further. The man looked up suspiciously. If you speak the truth, he said, I lose nothing when I lose my life. I am not much more than a beast that has been taught to dance by blows and a few meager morsels. So he looks at his life. If what you're saying is true, then I'm, I'm nothing. That's what he's getting at. I'm no, no better than the beast of the field. But here's what Zarathustra says. By no means, says, said Zarathustra, you have made danger your vocation. There is nothing contemptible in that. Now you perish of your vocation. For that, I will bury you with my own hands. And what's the meaning there? He's saying, you think that you, your life was nothing. You think that it was meaningless. But you made danger your vocation. And there's nothing contemptible in that. And because of that, I will bury you with my own hand. What's he saying? You made your own meaning and value out of what you were doing. And that's all that this temporary life can give you apart from our Lord. Nothing further. When you think about existentialism, which is what he is 
propagating there. A simple definition would be the philosophical belief we are each responsible for creating purpose and meaning in our own lives. That's all we're left with. Apart from creating meaning and, and purpose in our own lives, I mean, what are we? We're just as the existential philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre said, we're nothing more than a useless passion in the end. Those are some of the things that Solomon's getting at. That it's all vanity. It's all a breath. It's all short. It's all meaning. It's all futile. It's all absurd. But what things then does he come back to? And we'll see that as we get through the rest of this book. But it comes back down to this. Is that purpose and value and meaning and dignity is indeed able to be experienced by humans, human beings. But it does not come apart from the Lord Jesus Christ who gives you your identity, who gives you meaning and who gives you value, who gives you dignity because you have dignity and value because you are an image bearer of God. You are a creative act of God. That's what gives you meaning and that's what gives you value. It's not in anything that you do in this life. It's him that gives you that. Your purpose. You have purpose in Christ. Because everything that you do in your labor for the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain. Because it accomplishes the very things for which the Lord has intended. In, in the scheme of all redemptive history. Your labors for the Lord are not in vain. Your labors for the Lord are not meaningless. Your life itself is not meaningless because God has created you for a very specific purpose. When you sum up really what life is, you go to the Westminster Confession, what does it say? Or rather the first question of the catechism. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. When it comes down to it, what is the meaning of life? What is its purpose? It is to fear God and to enjoy him. What things will be accomplished by our own hands in this life? We don't know. We may never know. But what we do know for certain is that the things that God allows us to do in his name are things that have eternal consequences and eternal purposes think of the think of the man whose preaching it was that Spurgeon was converted under does anybody know his name does anybody know the name of the man under whose ministry Jonathan Edwards was converted I don't either. But think, think of the reward of these persons. Think of not just these particular men, but think of all, all the, the women throughout history who teach their children and who, who grow up to be used greatly by the Lord 
And then they teach their children. And they're raised up to do great things for the Lord. A lot of times we don't know their names. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't know their names. It doesn't matter whether or not our names are known in this life or not. What matters is, is that we are known by name, by the true and the living God who has given us purpose. And who gives us our tasks and us our responsibilities. Think of the man whom the disciples went to to get the donkey. That our Lord was going to ride in on the, in his triumphal entry. We don't even know his name. We have no idea. But think of what that man contributed to the ministry of the Lord Jesus. That it was going to be that man's donkey that the Lord Jesus would ride in to Jerusalem fulfilling scripture from hundreds of years earlier. But the Lord knew his name. And the Lord had raised him up for purpose. And his life was not wasted. His life was not in vain. That's, that's, those, those are the truths. That's the reality that we get when we look at our life in the Lord. Because otherwise you have exactly what Solomon is saying here. It's all empty. It's all meaningless. It's a breath. It's a mist. That's what life is. That's what pleasure is. That's what desire is. Success. Anything you want to name that is temporary in this life. It's like a breath. And actually, it's very interesting that when you say this word in Hebrew, habel, you have to breathe out. It's just like you're giving your breath there. Habel. That's what life is. It's a mere breath. Life is indeed a mere breath. It is a mist. It's, it's like the morning dew, but... But there is great joy to be had in this life and, and even now, not by trying to seek after the things that we think are going to fulfill us. The things that fulfill us are the things of God. Because those are eternal. That has eternal value. Not a temporary value, not a temporary fix, not a temporary fulfillment. Some people want to get through this life and they want to just try to do what they can just to get through the next day and to get through the next day. And there is, there's, there's no time that is taking in order to enjoy this life and enjoy every day that God has given. That's, that's the point. That's the thing that we need to to allow to penetrate our minds and to penetrate our hearts is that our lives matter. This life matters. What you do for the Lord, it matters. Everything that you do for the Lord matters. And it is this that lasts for generations to come. Because every generation has the task has the responsibility of teaching the next generation because our life is like a breath. We're here for a certain time and then we're gone. What are we going to leave? What is the legacy that any one of us would have? But it has to be a legacy that is left for the next generation. 
in order that they too would serve the Lord with faithfulness, in order that they too would raise up their children to teach their children for the next generation and the next generation. So that in generations to come, by our work, by our labor in the Holy Spirit, that we might have part, maybe we, maybe we don't see the fruit of our labor, but that we might have part of teaching others and to guide others so that others will be converted, even in generations to come, by being obedient now. That is a legacy to leave. It doesn't matter how much money that you make in this life or what kind of wealth that you gather to yourself in this life. It is all, that's all meaningless. If that, is what's, if that is what you think is going to fulfill you and make you happy. Because it won't. You think of some of the most miserable people, miserable people the, some of the richest. And it don't take long to figure that out whenever you see them on news shows or whatever. Think of how miserable a person that is. But in... Our estimation as far as from a human standpoint, they have everything. And it's still not enough. I remember <clears throat> watching an award show and um, Jim Carrey was, was uh, getting ready to give out an award for something. It was at the Golden Globes or whatever. And he's, he's being funny in what he's saying. Yet what he's saying is absolutely true. He was introduced as, as uh, uh, the two-time Academy Award winning Jim Carrey. And he starts making a joke that when he goes to sleep at night, he dreams about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. And he says, then I'll be enough. It will finally be true. But it will ultimately be unfulfilling. And while he's being funny and the crowds are laughing... What he's saying is actually true. He says, then I can stop this search for what I know will ultimately unfulfill me. And what he's saying is actually right. You think of actors when they get these big awards and they think that their work is, meaning, is, is meaningful now because they won an award and they win one award and then they're unfulfilled. They're still not happy. They went another. And they're still not happy. I'm not at all saying that Jim Carrey is a Christian. That is not at all what I'm getting at. But I am saying that what he said is actually true. That apart from the Lord, all the things of this world are meaningless. And another thing, another evidence of that really is some of the songs that we listen to, if we, if we ever stop to actually read the lyrics of it, to see what kind of hopelessness is actually within these lyrics of songs that we all like. I would imagine many of us like the song by Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody. It's a song that whenever it comes on, you got to crank it up because the only thing you're thinking of then is Wayne's World. And you got to wait for your moment in order to start doing your head banging. But have you stopped to think about what the lyrics of this song actually says? Is this the real life? 
Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide, no escape from reality. Open your eyes, look up to the skies and see. I'm just a poor boy, I need no sympathy. Because I'm easy come, easy go, little high, little low. Any way the wind blows doesn't really matter to me. And he ends the song. Nothing really matters. Anyone can see. Nothing really matters. Nothing really matters to me. Any way the wind blows. Now, much of the time, we don't, we don't consider what these things are actually saying because we're having a good time listening to the song. Well, what is he saying? It's all meaningless. There's no purpose. Nothing really matters. Nothing really matters to me. Any way the wind blows doesn't really matter. It's interesting how we find a lot of truth in songs if we just stop to read the lyrics often. This is what you get apart from your life in Christ that gives you everything that you need to be fulfilled in this life, which is him. He is your purpose. He is your fulfillment. He is your joy. He is everything. So that in service to him, everything that you do has eternal value. An eternal purpose. That is the great blessing that the people of God have by being in Christ. You know, with that song, I never really paid much attention to it until I was listening to Derek Thomas. And Derek Thomas had read the lyrics, and I thought, oh man, I didn't catch that. I didn't catch what he was saying. But those are true words for the unbeliever. What do you have? What do you have apart from the Lord? And the answer is, you don't have anything. The only thing that you have is what you can make of yourself. So whereas all your desire and everything that you're striving after is in what you yourself can do in this life, And not many can disappoint us as much as ourselves. (laughs) We disappoint ourselves probably more so than any other. So then what are we left with when we disappoint ourselves? Because we don't get what it is that we thought would make us happy. We're left in even more despair. Even more sadness, even more sorrow. It's no wonder people do the crazy things that they do. Because if all they're told is that you're a cosmic accident and you have no meaning, you have no value, the fact that you exist is absurd. And actually, it was one of the contemporaries of Jean-Paul Sartre, Albert Camus, who had implied that really the last thing that philosophers need to contemplate is that of suicide. Because it comes back to this. Why not? 
The fact that I exist is absurd. It's meaningless. But having that kind of an understanding is why it should not surprise us that people do the crazy and outrageous things that they do today. Because it puts the attention on them. It makes them have a name. It makes them last for generations to come. Even some of the most heinous things. And why would anybody stop doing the heinous things? Because we're a cosmic accident, right? It don't matter anyway. It's no wonder that people do the things they do. Just to be remembered, just to have a name, just to have meaning, just to have some type of a purpose in this life. But what is their life? What is their name? What are the things that they do? It's a mere breath. It, it contributes nothing but pain and sorrow for those that are hurt by whatever it is that they do. Dear friends, there's a lot of times in this life that we seek after things that are only temporary and that will not fulfill us. It will not. A lot of things that we want to accomplish in this life, and if the Lord allows us to do that in service to him, then by all means. I'm not saying let's just be satisfied with everything in the sense of this is our lot as far as looking at it like fatalism. The Lord allows us to prosper. The Lord blesses us. He does things for us. But if we keep the right frame of mind as the Lord does these things in our life, it's not about, well, the Lord blessed me with this. Well, if I can get that, I'll be even more happier. Rather, it's as the Lord has blessed me, then let me take this opportunity then as the Lord has blessed me to bless others. Let me take the, the position that God has given me in my job or and whatever promotion and whatever it is that you do for a living. Let me take this then and let me glorify the Lord in it. That's the mindset that we need to have. So that whether we eat, whether we drink, whatever we do, we do to the glory of God. And so everything that is in our line of work that ultimately in generations to come will not be remembered. It has value right now. And it has purpose right now because in the things that the Lord has allowed us to do, we can do it for his glory and for his honor. And that gives us even greater purpose in this life. To labor, to work, all things for the Lord. How do you consider your own lives right now? How do you... How do you look at the things that the Lord has blessed you with now? Do you realize that you're blessed? We need to recognize that, that you have been, absolutely. How can you use whatever profession that the Lord has allowed you to do right now? Whether you're doing a job, you're not doing a job, you're retired or whatever. How can you take the state in which you are existing at this particular point in your life and glorify God? How can you labor for the Lord? What things can you do in order to prepare the coming generations? Especially we need to be thinking these things as a church. <clears throat> you know what happens? It seems like a lot of churches, they, they focus so much on the present generation. 
we have to get more people into the church and we have to do this and we have to do that. But we forget that it is this generation that is supposed to be teaching the next generation. Preparing the next generation. Sometimes we forget that. We lose sight of that. And it's easy to do. We've all done it. I've done it. Just as you have. And that's why we need to be reminding each other and reflecting upon the truths that we find in God's word in order to encourage each other. Hey, what we're doing has eternal value and it has long-lasting effects. Yes, but it must be then delivered to the next generation that they too will do these things. So be examples of those who labor for the Lord and who love the Lord and who are trying and striving in this life to glorify him as much as we can so that the other generation, the next generation will see it and we can help prepare them and we can help, you know, we can help guide them. Some things that we, some, I think we lack within discipleship. And I was reading Justin Peter's new book, uh, here recently, it's called um, Do Not Hinder Them, is the name of the book. <clears throat> it's speaking of children, and it's really not what you think. It's speaking about baptism and that sort of thing, and it's, the name of it's Do Not Hinder Them. And you would think by the title that he's meaning uh, any time that a child wants to be baptized, you need to just let him go do it. What he's saying is, is that that child needs to understand the gravity of believing in Christ too. Now, do children have childlike faith and they come to faith? Absolutely. But they need to be prepared, too. They need to be prepared for what it means to be a believer in Christ. There's much more to that. That's a simple uh, understanding of it. But let us be reflecting, dear friends, on what it is that the Lord has allowed us to do in this life, what things we can do in this life right now, wherever you're at in your life, how can you take the opportunities that God has given you? How can you glorify him? How can you be an example for others? doesn't matter if you're young, whether you're old. It doesn't matter. Because if the spirit of Christ lives in you, then the Spirit of Christ can use you to do whatever He desires to accomplish in you. You have meaning and purpose, and you can find fulfillment in this life by looking unto Him, by finding your joy in Him, by finding your peace in Him. It's not going to come through anything else, and it's not going to come through no one else. It will not come through a companion, it will not come through a spouse, it will not come through best friends. Your fulfillment will only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be thinking of. That's what we need to be considering and reflecting and allowing our hearts to be moved by that, to enjoy him even now and to labor for his great name, understanding that that's our purpose. As as we work through this book, I pray indeed that this book will be a great blessing to us and that we will grow in our understanding of things and we will grow in our relationship to our Lord and that it will affect our lives greatly, understanding what the important things are in this life. Let's pray together.
Gracious God and our Father, thank you for this portion of your word. Thank you for all that it teaches us. Thank you for how it brings or it captivates our minds to bring us back to the important things of this life. And it all centers upon you. It all revolves around you. And apart from you, there is no true joy to be had. No hope, no peace. It all comes from you. Thank you for allowing us to be the recipients of your great love, your great grace that is found in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that we can have a greater understanding of what love is by seeing that demonstration of love by Christ Jesus on the cross, by his life, by his death. Thank you that in him we can see our value, that he chose to enter into human history. He chose to die for those that you had given him. Thank you for this gift. I pray, Father, that you would use our time together in the coming weeks to grow us in our sanctification and our knowledge and our relationship to you and our appreciation of you. May you be glorified in your people. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, amen. Thank you for your attention and you are dismissed. <laughs>